Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's word and his presence to change your life. I want to talk to you today about, about purpose. Um, I'll begin with this statement. Um, Bethany, I thought it was pretty, super prophetic. Bethany began to pray out, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, one of the things that's it's very important that we understand uh, well, even in that prayer, Jesus told the disciples, pray this way. And in that prayer, he told the disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would God tell them to pray on earth as it is in heaven? Because God is interested in the reconciliation and the redemption of all things. You were not created to live. You were not created for heaven. You were created for heaven on earth. That's what you were actually created for. So when he says pray heaven to earth, what he's actually doing is he's almost, I know this sounds kind of funny, he's telling you to pray yourself back to the Garden of Eden. That's why earth was created. There was a heaven already, but he created earth for us. Human beings were created for earth. So so what what that means for me is so much of our original design, if we're going to talk about revival or reconciliation or restoration or whatever whatever language we want to use, the the thing we have to be looking for is getting back to the thing we were intended for, which is the Garden of Eden. So much of our original design is found there in the book of Genesis. And so I want to talk to you about, a, I want to read a couple of scriptures from Genesis to get started. Here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, it says, This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown. Now I want, to pay, I want us to pay close attention to this sentence. He says, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. Why why had God not caused it to rain yet? Well, because there was no man to tend to it. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Now skip down to verse 15. It says, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you should not eat, for in the day you eat you'll surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Super interesting to me. And whatever God called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. Before Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. A couple things that we see here. First of all, we, we were not created to simply be consumers. We were created to be producers. God put Adam and Eve in a garden with all of the, everything that they needed to sustain themselves, but along with the sustenance also came an assignment. He, and if you go back and read that, he, t- he tells Adam, fulfill the earth, subdue it, expand the borders, blah, blah, blah. Uh, go, go and read all that. But I want you to see this, that the, the world God envisioned all along was a co-created world. Just think about that. So God in all of his power chose to create the animal to a certain degree, but not give it its name. And he, he created the animal, then he stepped back, brought Adam and said, hey, let's partner on this thing. You tell me what we should call it. Fascinating. So Adam sees these animals, and it's kangaroo. And the Lord's like, wouldn't have thought of that one, but we'll go with kangaroo, you know. 
The world God envisioned was a co-created world. We were created. Just, it's just still, it's, I, think I'm, I think I know in my spirit more than I know in my mind on this one. But it's like God's perfect design was for us to create the world with him. To create the world with him. To start something, put his DNA, because you know the scripture says we were created in his likeness and image. So inside every single one of us, is the nature of God himself. So he wasn't completely afraid of what we were gonna create. Why? Because we were made in his likeness and image. So he was in us from the beginning. So the him in us, he partners with that to say, hey, I, I wanna see what you'll call it. And then he chose, and I, I don't even, again, I don't have necessarily the, the theology for this, but it's like, it's almost as if even what Adam named them, they didn't have to be perfect. It wasn't even about did he get it perfect. It was the beauty of creating a son and a daughter, a son, a father and a son doing something together. That was the divine design of humanity. So the world that God envisioned all along was a co-created world. And I also propose that you could never put, you could never consume enough. And if you think about this in the garden, if you you could never consume enough to get rid of that void that's on the inside of you, that void called purpose. You were created with, an, with, a, with, a vo- with a void, with a, with a hole, and the only thing that fills that particular void and that particular hole is living from purpose, having a purpose in your life. I've actually heard it said the other day that the two most significant days of anyone's life are the day that you were born and the day you figure out why. I um, recently, we have a three-year-old, and it's, it's fascinating to watch where she's at. All of a sudden, she wants to help do everything. I mean, she wants to do everything. So she's got her little stool because she can't reach. Anything she wants to do, she can't reach. And so that little stool has became, I mean, she's glued to that stool because whether it's her mom cooking, she wants to help. She wants to help mom cook. The other day I was, they were in there and she drug her little stool up to the, to the edge. Leanne was making some eggs and cracking the eggs and she's telling Evan, okay, now be very, very careful with the egg. We're gonna take it and we're gonna crack it. And she literally just grabbed an egg and just squished it as hard as she could and just watched it just fall right out of the bottom, you know. And I mean, she, she doesn't even want help getting dressed anymore. You're getting her dressed for school, getting her dressed for church, getting her dressed for bed, whatever it is. She doesn't want you even helping her anymore. She wants to do it. And that's the thing where we're kind of watching, like trying to figure out when to parent this part. But it's like, I could do it. I could do it. I could do it. Anybody else? Hey, your kids did that. I can do it. In fact, let's just do that. Raise your hand if you have kids and they went through that phase. Yeah, they all did. Uh, I could do it. I can do it. And she even adds on, I could do it all by myself all by myself. And um, what I find fascinating about that is, like for instance, her wanting to help her mom in the kitchen. Never in her life have, have we gone to her and said, hey, just so you know, we're not always going to cook for you. Just so you know that, Evan. <laughs> so if you don't learn to start picking some of this stuff up, you're going to be hungry one of these days because we're, we're not going to do this anymore. We've never said that to her. We've never even led her to believe that there was going to be a day that we stopped providing for her. Same thing. There was, there was never been a day where we told her, so look, if you don't learn to put your clothes on by yourself, you'll be running around naked after a while because eventually we're gonna stop doing this for you. It, we never said that. We never even alluded to the fact that we would stop being her providers, that we would stop taking care of her. If, we've never, if we didn't train her to think that, then why all of a sudden does she want to learn that? Because whether she even knows how to give language to it, something inside her says, I want to do something. I want to be a part of this. I propose every single one of us in this room, whether you know it or not, somewhere on the inside of you, you want to do something. 
And, and the, what I've noticed is as I, as I spend more time with my spiritual fathers and listen to the way that they talk, not only will they, do they want to do something, they want to know that what they did or what they are doing is actually going to matter. I love that. I love having fathers in my life because I can tell, like when a young person comes and tells me they want to help me, they, in their heart they do or they think they do, but because they're not made yet, they're not secure yet, there's still a part of them that's trying to find themselves and make it for themselves. They say they want to help me, but in their helping me, they also want to help them. But fathers, like I've, I've got a couple of guys in my life, I'm telling you, when they say they want to help me, they want to help me for no other reason than when they're starting to think legacy. They're wanting to think that when I leave here, I want to believe that something I did mattered beyond myself. So it doesn't matter what age you are. It's not like a, you, you get to a certain point when you've finished all the, the purpose that you have in your life. No, your purpose, your purpose just changes. In fact, that, I, I believe that that's one of the things that is important about having a multi-generational church is having the wisdom. And I pray and ask for this. Having fathers in my life helps me with this to make sure that no matter what your age, no matter what your maturity level, you never don't have a place to bring something to the table. There's never a place in our church where you don't have some part that if you wanted to, you could play. If it's as simple as, you know what, I just, I don't, because of where I'm at in my life, I don't want to, I, well, first of all, if you don't want to do anything, <laughs> there needs to be a place in the church for that. If you just want to smile, make people feel welcome, pass out communion elements, that's fine. If you want to pray, there's a place for that. If you want to be on the worship team, there's a place for that. Our, part of our job as the local church is to create the place for you to co-create with God and build the kingdom with him. This didn't change under the new covenant. First Corinthians chapter three, verse five says, who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Verse nine, for we are God's fellow workers. We are God's fellow workers. Workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. Has it ever, have you ever wondered, especially given the fact that the most significant thing that could ever happen to a human being on this planet is that they made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior? If that's the, the single most important decision every human being will make, has it, has it ever crossed your mind, then why did, God, why did Jesus leave the earth so young? Jesus prepared for ministry for 30 years. He did ministry for three and a half and died at the age, gave his life up at the age of 33 and a half years. Now on today, if someone were to die at 33 and a half years old, we would say of them, their life was cut short. They had so much life left to give. It, was, it would be tragic. Has it ever dawned on you like, wait a minute, Jesus, if, if this, this thing that you're doing, this thing that you're bringing because of the significance, why didn't you stick around for at least like 80 years? Like why, did, why was it such a, a short amount of time? He spent three and a half years in his ministry and the majority of his ministry was training and equipping 12, 12 young, adoles some say even adolescent, 12 young males and then leaves the planet after three and a half years of ministry and imparts his ministry gives the assignment of his ministry to 12 young adult males. First of all, that is mind-boggling in and of itself. You know, the scripture says God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. The fact that he gave the assignment to men, and not just men, young ones. Like if it were me, it'd be like, I need 12 moms. I need 12 35-year-old moms. 
we're going to get anything done, I'm going to need some moms that know how to do this thing. But it's bizarre. He only, he, only, he only trained and equipped for three and a half years and handed that ministry, handed that assignment over to these people. What is he showing us? That whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, the Old Covenant or the New Testament, it's divine design for God to partner with humanity in everything, no matter how important it is. No matter how important it is, it is his way. It is the divine of humanity to partner. Now, this, is gonna, this could seem a little challenging, but just, just bear with me. If, if the things of God are only going to happen through partnership with us, then we have to, on a regular basis, ask ourselves the question, how am I doing? And before we can ask ourselves, how am I doing, we actually have to ask the, the question, am I doing anything? Am I producing anything? Or I mean, let me take a couple steps back. Does your theology revolve around consumption or producing? I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, we had, and again, <laughs> well, I'm just going to say it and let the chips fall where they may. I hope it doesn't offend you, unless it should. Um, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, we had to leave this church because we weren't getting fed. Now, I agree that a church should be feeding its people, so let me just get that out there. I, I agree that that should be one of the things. But what I wonder is, do you have a consumption theology or a production theology? What I wonder is, has it ever crossed your mind that maybe there comes a point in time at a church when the majority of what you're there for is producing, not necessarily consumption? Maybe you should be so mature and grown that you actually know how to feed yourself. Do you know what, you know what we would label a 33-year-old man or woman still living in their house and mom and dad uh, still preparing his meals and him sitting there with his hands down or her hands down and being fed? We, we would say something's wrong with that. And yet I propose the majority of the church walks in on a Sunday. Maybe not this one. Maybe we're above the curve. But I, I propose that the majority of Christians today, they walk into church, they sit down, and they open their mouth for somebody to feed them. And then what they do is they fast the rest of the week until they can get back to church on Sunday because heaven, heaven forbid they pick up a fork or a spoon themselves. Sometimes how you view your interaction with the church will let you know what kind of theology do I have? Do I have a consumption theology or a production theology? There needs to come a point. Well, first of all, you need to understand, some of you in here, you, the majority of what you need to be doing here is consuming because you're malnourished, you're broken, you're hurting, and the church has to be a safe enough place. I, I, I'll say this, if you'll notice, if you've been here for very long, we don't shove serving down your throat. How, how long have you been here? We, you need to get this card. In fact, there's a card on every single chair, every single week. And I know churches that are like that because in their minds, they believe that the only way for you to be a productive member of the church is for the minute that you get here, you start doing something. I propose that's not always true. Sometimes you need to get here and get, allow this to be a hospital for you. But if this is gonna be a hospital, which means some people are not doing anything, for others, this has to be the workplace and not just the ones that stand on stage with a microphone. That means some of you here have to bring more than you need and you don't show up necessarily to get fed, you show up to feed. 
you do not need to stand on this stage to feed somebody in this church on a Sunday morning. It should be happening, it should be happening throughout this entire property at all times. In fact, some of you mature people, you literally should, just like I wake up on Sunday mornings and spend time in prayer asking the Lord, Lord, what would you have me say today? What would you have me do today? Just because you don't, are not on staff here doesn't mean you shouldn't have the same approach on a Sunday morning. Lord, I, I'm going to church today. I am full. I am fat, sassy, and happy. I've been feeding myself on the word all week long. I'm just, just point, just show me somebody. You, that's how you, you're supposed to come to church with something, not for something. I've only got a few minutes left, and so I want to break some practical things down uh, and, then, and then show you a prophetic blueprint for purpose, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Practically, where do you start? So you, you're called to live from purpose. I, I, I over-preached this message somewhat um, well, I, should, I shouldn't say I over-preached it. I didn't clarify as much as I should have when I preached this message to the church in Midland. The longer I've meditated on some of this, I feel like I've cleaned it up a bit. But I, I, I do want to ask the very practical question. If we're called to live from purpose, and keyword from purpose, meaning you will have multi-purposes throughout your life. It's going to change. Seasons are going to change. But to live, how do you start this journey? Where do you start of living on purpose? The first thing that I would say to you um, is, is make sure to not fall into the trap that your talents dictate your purpose. Your talents dictate your purpose. No much more than your happiness. What makes me happy? That must be my purpose. I propose that some of those natural things, that's a very earthly way of looking at things, a very natural way of looking at things to look at something natural to dictate something spiritual. Your purpose is spiritual. Your talents are natural. Now, I'm not saying that they can't be used, but I'm just saying to say, here's a good, to say the, a good starting point for you is see what makes you happy and see what you're good at. That's what the world says, but it's not what the kingdom says i.e., Moses, the Lord comes to Moses and says, I need you to be a spokesperson for me. So what, what, what talent would a spokesperson probably need to have? Good speaking. <laughs> Yet what was Moses' biggest issue in his life at the time? A speech impediment. So what if Moses had, been, had the theology of the call of God on my life is synonymous to the thing that I'm talented at? When God spoke that to him, he had said, no, that could not be God because I'm not talented at that. We're back to what I said earlier. God will use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Just because you're not talented at something doesn't mean you should not be doing something. Now, just to be clear, if you can't sing, you're not leading worship here. Now, you might can lead worship somewhere else, but you're not leading worship here. Talents don't dictate purpose. Think about the life of David. David, David looked like anything but a warrior. He was a little, little red-headed harp player. He looked anything, the, the last thing he looked like was a warrior, yet he, he was called and purpose to kill Goliath. Let me just tell you what killed Goliath. Not David's talent, David's faith. And oftentimes the things God's called you to do are to build your faith, not build your talent. He, he doesn't, 
Oftentimes he'll show you what he can do without your talent before he shows you what you can do with your talent. I'll just say this about young people, or, or to young people, and I, I can say this because I'm, well, first of all, I'm 40 now, so let's just put that out there. Um, but um, young people, get this in, in your theology. When you plug into a church, find out, where you're, find out what the church needs before you look for what you love. That didn't go over very well. I'm just going to leave that one alone. Um, it's, a, it's a good habit. Because, like, when I, first of all, when I'm raising my kids, the first thing I want them to learn to do is obey. And once they obey enough and have my values, then and only then do I release them to do the thing that's in their heart. Because now I know that I've, they've, they've, they've handed their heart over to me. They've let me formed it through, form it in a such a way through obedience. Now, as a good parent, I'm not going to squelch that thing. I was talking to my mom and dad about this earlier. I've got two kids right now that I'm like, wow. My, like my oldest daughter, she's such a rule follower. She never like was a smart aleck or sarcastic with me. Like now I am, my love language is sarcasm. And so like I, I, it's in my home. But my oldest, because she's such a rule follower, she's never been sarcastic, really joked with me or whatever. But now I've got a 12 year old that God help her. I, sometimes I'm like, I'm not sure if that was you trying to just interact with me or you're being a smart aleck, you know. But as a, so as a dad, I, I'm not trying to squelch that thing in her. But what I am watching over is in that personality that's coming out of you, do I still have your heart? Because as long as I, if I have that, your heart, as long as you're showing me that you still want to obey, then I can release you to start to discover who you are. The first step, though, is has nothing to do with what you love or what you like or what you feel. It's the trust of someone older and further along than me says, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to listen. And something's going to get formed in me that I'm ready to even handle or steward the thing that I'm called to do, the thing that I love. There is a God-ordained blueprint. I'm going to have to knock this out in one minute. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but um, there is a God-ordained blueprint in Scripture for walking and discovering walking in and discovering your purpose. Matthew chapter three, it's the baptism of Jesus, starting in verse 13, says, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and yet you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed it. So Jesus saying, John, this is not about who's better. I, I need you to do this because it's a part of the prophetic assignment on my life. You baptizing me will eventually be a prophetic blueprint for everyone that reads this scripture in the future of what their journey into their purpose is supposed to look like. So verse 16, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting, very important word, up on him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm gonna briefly get this if you want the, the whole enchilada, so to speak. I, I taught this in Midland, it's on, on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can watch the rest of it, but I'm gonna go through these pretty quick. The first thing that you see Jesus in terms of your, your, the prophetic blueprint for discovering your purpose, he was born again. He was born again. I propose to you that your purpose is spiritual, not natural. So until you are born again of the spirit, you don't have a spiritual purpose yet. Now, I believe that there's times where the, the Holy Spirit just, he, he, he sprinkles things in front of you, puts things in front of you to maybe alert you that, wait a minute, why am I so drawn to this? Or why am I so drawn to that? Or, or whatever. But again, 
your purpose is a spiritual purpose, not a natural purpose. And so until you are born again of the Spirit, your spiritual purpose is not alive to you. It's still dead. You were dead spiritually. When you're born again, you become alive spiritually, which means you can become alive to your spiritual purpose. The other thing that happens is, is when, you're, when you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes and links arm in arm with you in the spiritual, which for the record, you won't be able to fulfill your purpose without him. Okay, moving right along. Baptism sal- represented salvation. You'll never know the plan of God for your life until you're born again. Number two, the Holy Spirit, about, it says that the Holy Spirit came and descended, came down, descended up on Jesus like a dove. This is what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's, there's salvation, which is, well, let me say it a different way. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Where did the dove come and land? On Jesus. When you get baptized, what does the water get? Does the water get on you or in you? It gets on you. I propose to you, apart from salvation, and I don't have time to go into all this, there is a secondary experience that you can have with the Lord called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it is a surrendering of your physical body and say, Lord, have your Holy Spirit come on me and use me in whichever way you want. If you read it through scripture, most of the time when someone was baptized in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came upon them, they began to speak in tongues. I think there's two instances where the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to prophesy. But if you read this in scripture, one instance, uh, the disciples came to a group of people and said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you've been saved? That lets me know that there's a salvation and a receiving of the Holy Spirit. They're two uh, separate things. Let me just say this. Jesus told the disciples, they were trained and equipped by him for three and a half years. The greatest father, uh, spiritual father, the greatest teacher, the greatest discipler, the son of God himself trained these disciples for three and a half years. But after he trained them, died, buried, resurrected, came back to them, here's what he said. Don't you even think about leaving the city until the Holy Spirit comes. Don't even think about it. Well, first of all, why would they be thinking about leaving the city? Because he had told them when he recruited them, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. From the very time he engaged with him, he told them about their assignment. He told them about their purpose. So for three and a half years, they've been... They've been munching on this. When are we going to get to go? When are we going to get to go? And then one time he sent them out two by two. Some of them did good. Some of them not so much. Some tried to cast out a demon. They came back with their tail tucked between their legs. Like, we didn't get him out, Jesus. We don't know what happened. He's still in there, you know. So, so they, they were being prepared for this. Why am I making a big deal out of this? If training and education were enough to fulfill your assignment, Jesus wouldn't have told the disciples, wait till the Holy Spirit gets there. He'd have said, you know what? Go ahead and get started. And eventually the Holy Spirit will come. The fact the Holy Spirit coming can just be something that adds to your ministry. No, he said, don't even start your ministry. Don't even start your purpose without the Holy Spirit. I propose to you, the the call of God on your life, the purpose on your life cannot be completed without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm not gonna get through all of it. The last thing I wanna touch on is, is what for a lot of us is probably the most important thing that I see in this. It says that he was baptized, came out of the water, Holy Spirit comes on him like a dove. It says the heavens were open to him as well. I don't have time for that. The, the Holy Spirit descended and landed upon him like a dove. And then a voice from the heaven cries out, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. 
I think maybe the most significant thing that all of us need to know before we step foot into our purpose is who we are and whose we are. You have to know that God's not pleased with you because of what you do. He's pleased with you because of who you are. Who you are is not defined by what you do. Who you are is defined by what you receive, who is Jesus. What you believe in. That's the beauty of the new covenant of grace. I I don't think there's a single more important theological foundation than the finished work of the cross to know to regularly hear when you wake up in the morning you are loved I don't care what you did yesterday you are forgiven I don't care what you did yesterday I am for you I don't care what you did yesterday waking up every single morning with new grace and new mercy in your life nothing nothing ignites your purpose more than that and nothing will squelch your purpose more than not knowing that Nothing will kill the call of God on your life like guilt, shame, and condemnation. You'll be moving. You'll be going in a certain direction. And like every single one of us do, you will fail. You will gossip. You will lie. You will cheat. You will mess up. And if if you don't understand that I am not defined by what I do, I am defined by who he is, then you won't be able to wake up the very next morning and hear, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And that, I'm convinced, is the last thing you need to hear. It's the last thing you need to have before stepping out into your purpose. If you don't know that he's for you, you have, it's like you have no, what's the word I'm looking for here? You have no persistence in your purpose. You might do a few things here and there, but you cannot allow your behavior to dictate. Your, your past behavior to dictate your future behavior. Oh, I, I failed. I messed up. I, you know what? I better not do anything else because I'll just fail again. I'll just mess up again. I'll just be a bad influence again. I'll just be a bad example again. No, no, no. You have to learn to wake up every day and put on Christ. Hide yourself. Clothe yourself in the finished work of Christ every single morning and hear from your Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The only way you'll ever believe that is a regular dose of the finished work of, of the cross in your life. Regularly hearing that, regularly reading scriptures. If, if you've never really done a deep dive into grace, I, I encourage you, get your hands on anything Joseph Prince has ever re- written and read it all. <laughs> Listen to it all. He has such a revelation of grace. It changed my life forever. And I, it, is the, it is the cornerstone. We were saved by grace through faith. It's the very first thing that you have to get. Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon.